Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm Dan Pfeiffer. Here we are, Dan, in our nation's capital together. It's like we never left. It's like we never left. <laughs> On today's show, Republican leaders struggle to respond to Trump's Nazi dinner. Congress passes a law to protect same-sex marriage as Washington gears up for a busy lame duck session. The GOP conducts a midterm autopsy and later went to the White House to talk to Chief of Staff Ron Klain about Joe Biden's plans for 2023, Twitter Trump, and the World Cup. It's a wide-ranging interview with Ron. Uh, but first, check out Crooked Media's newest podcast, Work Appropriate, where author and host Anne Helen Peterson sets out to find solutions to everyday workplace problems, whether you work in an office chair or a sixth grade classroom. Listen to Work Appropriate now wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Also, it's runoff time in Georgia. Election day is Tuesday. If you're a Georgia voter, head over to votesaveamerica.com to make your plan. And if you want to help out no matter where you live, you can donate and find remote and in-person volunteer opportunities to make sure the Warnock campaign has the resources it needs to win. All right, let's get to the news and kick things off with an update on the meal that Donald Trump shared with anti-Semitic rapper Kanye West and white supremacist Nick Fuentes, also known as Dein Kampf. <laughs> Do we know what they ate? Has that been revealed? Wow, that's some. That's maybe we need some reporting on that. You know, maybe Come you on, can. Break, maybe you can break that story. Dan. I'm not really a reporter per se, but maybe people I follow on Twitter could do it. Yeah, we should give, of course, Crooked Media's own Sarah Lazarus credit for the title, Dein Kampf, and all primarily and all, all funny, funny things, things that yeah. you hear on this pod. Uh, after days of trying to avoid questions on the topic. Republican politicians were finally forced to respond, and here's what the party's two congressional leaders said. First, let me just say that there is no room in the Republican Party for anti-Semitism or white supremacy. And anyone meeting with people advocating that point of view, in my judgment, are highly unlikely to ever be elected president of the United States. I don't think anybody should be spending any time with Nick Fuentes. He has no place in this Republican Party. I think President Trump uh, came out four times and uh, condemned him and didn't know who he was. Well, he just said he didn't know who he was. He didn't condemn him or his ideology. Well, I condemn his ideology. It has no place in society. What is your take on that? And what about the former president for deciding to have that dinner? The president didn't know who he was. So that was uh, Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy. Uh, what do you make of the timing and the difference in tone uh, between the two responses? <laughs> well, the timing is these people were actually forced to speak to reporters because Congress is back. They could no longer just ignore their phone, yeah. not you know, not respond to texts from their press secretary. They they had to actually appear in public and answer questions. The differences between the two are Mitch McConnell has his job and Kevin McCarthy doesn't. And Kevin McCarthy needs people who pal around with Nick Fuentes to vote for him to be speaker. He's I mean, it is when you really get down to it, you know, as you know, you guys talked about last week. But as it currently stands, the vote for speaker is going to be early next year when Congress reconvenes. McCarthy does not yet have the votes. 
One of his key supporters who is holding it together for him is Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was kicked off her committees for attending a conference with Nick Fuentes. Uh, not to uh, not to defend Marjorie Taylor Greene, and I have to be careful what I say here because Elijah will clip me out of context. <laughs> yes. um, but did you, I don't know if you saw the Washington Post story on this brouhaha. <laughs> and uh, it has Marjorie Taylor Greene saying that um, after she appeared with Nick Fuentes, uh, at this at this event, someone showed her things that he had said, and she was horrified and thinks that no one should ever be hanging out with Nick Fuentes. <laughs> Even Marjorie Taylor Greene <laughs> is now ahead of Trump on this issue. Sure. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like, if we're going to put I'm aside not, all the other anti-Semitic any... things Marjorie Taylor Greene has yeah, done. Yeah, I'm not giving her any credit. I'm just saying that's how bad Donald Trump is. Yeah, and I mean, also, we have lost the thread, people. <laughs> I don't the problem. Nick Fuentes is a problem for sure. But let's say the dinner party had just been Donald Trump and Kanye West. It should be just as big a problem. Well, especially because uh, right. Right. Breaking news. Right. 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 Right before we started recording today, we got it in under the wire, Dan. Kanye West is on Alex Jones's program. Okay, Stop. Problem. That's right there. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing that comes after that sentence is ever good. A wonderful, a wonderful family program. And uh, and they're talking as they do on that show. And, And at one point, Alex Jones says, you're not Hitler. You're not a Nazi. And I don't even know what the context was for that, but that's, you know, Kanye West responds, well, I see good things about Hitler also. Every human being has value that they brought to the table, especially Hitler. Especially, not not like even Hitler, especially Hitler. Like that's, So now we're getting into, anytime you're talking about Hitler, I'm just, it's never, it's never going to go well. Is it, look, Kanye's a glass half full kind of guy. That's how we get here. But yes, that's all bad. That is very true. But even before that, Kanye West said, horribly anti-Semitic things. All of his sponsors dropped him at great financial cost to themselves. He was a pariah in society, and he was able to bring a plus one to a dinner with the former president of the United States. The Nick Fuentes thing is almost a distraction here, because Kanye is just bad enough. Like, people who dine with Kanye... It's tough when the Nazi is a distraction. Yeah, I mean, he's... Yeah, I mean... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that that same Washington Post piece said that um, AIDS had been trying to convince Trump up to the moment of the dinner to not have the dinner with Kanye because of all the anti-Semitic things he said. And Trump basically said, um, well, he's always been nice to me. That's That was his, he's always been nice to me. And they said that basically Trump just doesn't ever want to denounce people who support him, which is just everything you need to know about Trump. In fact, he may want to pardon some of them. Yeah, exactly. So McCarthy still needs Trump and he needs all the Trumpy people in the House uh, to make him speaker. McConnell doesn't need that as much. But, you know, before we welcome Mitch to the resistance, as we've done a few times already, I think. Um, <laughs> I have not. It's very clear. You're, just, you're more of a Romney guy. Um, <laughs> here's, uh, here's what Mitch said to a follow-up question about Trump in 2024. If Donald Trump wins the Republican nomination, would you support him? Look, let me just say again, there is simply no room in the Republican Party for anti-Semitism or white supremacy. And that would apply to all of the leaders in the party who will be seeking offices. I mean, it sort of tells you everything you need to know that Mitch McConnell can't rule out supporting the guy who dined with a Nazi if the alternative is like four more years of Joe Biden. <laughs> like, what? No. <laughs> what? It gets to the core of modern Republicanism. Yeah. Which is 
power at all costs. Nothing else matters. And Mitch McConnell, whether he likes it or not, would rather have an anti-Semite in the White House to appoint conservative judges than Joe Biden. Yeah. And that's it. And he's wrong about his party. There is clearly room. There is a wide lane for people who pal around with anti-Semites. In fact, it may be, at least with some of the hardcore base, there is more room for people like Nick Fuentes and people who dine with Nick Fuentes than establishment Republicans who want to cut Social Security to pay for tax cuts for big oil companies. Yeah. No, that's that's uh, that's fairly clear. And I'd also uh, take issue with McConnell saying uh, someone who dines with Nick Fuentes is unlikely to be elected president. I, I don't. <laughs> I hope not. But uh, we already saw Donald Trump elected once. Um, uh, also, Mitch McConnell is a professional politician. He's been in life, public life for 50 years. How can he not answer a follow up question without melting on camera? <laughs> he just he knows he doesn't want Donald Trump to be president again, but he knows if he says no and splits himself from Donald Trump this early on, he doesn't have an out later if Trump wins the nomination and then he has to get on board because if he doesn't get on board, like you said, that hurts his chances, the Senate's chances of, you know, uh, confirming conservative judges and cutting taxes. Yeah, he knew that going into that press conference. And so maybe just spend like five fucking seconds to think of an answer like, oh, I'm not going to answer hypotheticals. Yeah, no. He like could. he's a doofus. His press secretary is a doofus. All of them. <laughs> it's not that hard. So Trump. Uh, who is responsible for Republicans losing the last three elections in a row, responded to McConnell's statement by calling him, quote, a loser for our nation and for the Republican Party. Uh, he then said of Fuentes, quote, I had never heard of the man. I had no idea what his views were, and they weren't expressed at the table in our very quick dinner or it wouldn't have been accepted. <laughs> so Maggie Haberman reported that Trump's statement was a version of what his advisors have been trying to get him to say. I assume the latter, not the former part. <laughs> So uh, mission accomplished, I guess. So what happens now? Does everyone just move on from here or what? Like, how do we make sure um, Dine Kampf isn't memory hold like so many other Trump controversies? This is probably the final piece of evidence we ever needed that Donald Trump listens to our podcast. Because <laughs> this is the he this he is doing the thing to Mitch McConnell. That we've been telling Mitch McConnell to do to Trump. <laughs> and I, I worked with a guy once who when I was on the Gore campaign, who used to do a lot of uh, like TV cable TV debates with the Bush campaign. And his trick was always to start with the Bush campaign's talking point and just <laughs> totally confuse them. And I think that's what Donald Trump is doing here to Mitch McConnell. He's getting ahead of the loser argument. I mean, it's going to get memory old. I hate to say it, but it is going to get memory old. I was even just in the process of preparing for this podcast, reading other low moments for Trump and you like forget some of them. Yeah. Just the absolute. I mean, some of them, look, I think very fine people on both sides is one that had some staying power. Like it didn't uh, like obviously define staying power. Well, did we remember it? Did when it you hurt think him? of like top worst things about Trump, right? What do we think about? Very fine people on both sides. They're not sending their best rape. You know that whole that that you know, the, the, you know, sending the, the violent speech, mob to you know, murder Mike Pence is high on the list. Yeah, well, that's always that. You'll remember that. Yeah. No, greatest hits. Yeah, could this end up in the greatest hits file? I don't know. Like he's now running a presidential campaign again. I think every Democrat from now until the end of 2024 should be saying like Donald Trump launched his campaign for president by having dinner with a Nazi. It's a I, pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, it's such a funny. It happens to be true. With Kanye West. With, with, with yeah. With, I'm not with two Nazis, including Kanye West, because the Kanye West part really just like hammers home the absurdity of yeah. the whole thing. I This is a thing that 
I wrestle with when it comes to how we talk about Trump, because we are right back into the same problem we had from 2015 to 2021, which is Donald Trump sucks up all the oxygen. Mm. He is so outrageous, so terrible and so worthy of our condemnation and criticism and political attacks that other Republicans just walk around doing terrible shit without facing any consequences. And so and but. And what I think one of the reasons for our success in the 2022 election is we didn't talk about Trump. We talked about Trumpism in the using the term MAGA extremism or MAGA Republicans to talk about it. Mm. And is there a way, and I think we should think about this up until the moment Trump is the nominee, is how do we talk about Trump in a way that undergirds the message we want to do about Republicans writ large, including Trump? Yeah. Right. Is it they're standing with a guy who did this? They refuse to condemn him. This is another example of extremism, another example of the the dangerous elements within the party. But it there is this real fear that, you know, third, you know, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but Republicans just took the incredibly unpopular positions on marriage equality. They're trying to blow up the economy or social security. And no one's gonna know any about that because of Trump dines with Nazi rappers. Yeah, though I think that's a pretty damning allegation. <laughs> It, it's hard because we don't, don't know that we're going to be like, facing him, right? I don't think this is like, uh, you know, uh, he stood next to Putin in Helsinki and he said nice things about Putin, right? It's like, I think this is, this gets to the, I mean, it does fit in with the extremism frame, right? Oh, like, I don't think we have to make yes. this like, oh, he dined with a Nazi who wants to give tax cuts to the wealthy <laughs> and <laughs> gut Medicare. <laughs> yes. The Nazis have always opposed Medicare. <laughs> Trump opposes net Medicare. And that's the real problem. <laughs> yes. The real problem. No, um, I think that this one is, and I think, the, but you're right, though. You can't just make this about Trump and then split him from the Republican Party because, all look, the people who in the Republican Party, the few people who have condemned Trump for this. I mean, I guess Mike Pence also uh, demanded that, not demanded, but said that Trump should apologize. Mike Pence has never which demanded is also funny, anything like, in his life. Imagine like, oh, he should apologize. Yeah, okay, that's going to do it. I'm sorry I had dinner with the Nazis. Yeah, he should <laughs> levitate above the earth. Those are equally likely things. But um, there are a number of people in the party, most of the politicians in the party, who have refused to condemn Trump for this. And I think you hang that around their neck, like you don't let them forget that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think you kind of have to. But this is an easy one for people to understand. I, this, is my, this is my point of this. Like, Nick Fuentes, his comments are not like, they're pretty, you know, uh, we should go back to segregation. Jewish people should leave the country. Uh, January 6th was awesome. Like, it's just, it's Ka very... <laughs> Kanye West defending Hitler. Kanye West defending Hitler. That's one that's going to break through, I think. <laughs> I think that's one that's going to break through. That's one thing Kanye's been pretty good at is attention. Anyway. Uh, all right, let's turn to some happier news. This week, Congress passed a law that will finally grant federal recognition of states, same-sex, and interracial marriages here in 2022. The bill was introduced after Clarence Thomas suggested in his Dobbs opinion that the court should reconsider not only abortion rights, but precedents that protect the right to use contraception or marry who you want. The Senate vote was 61 to 36, with more than half of all Republicans voting no, even though over 70 percent of Americans support same-sex marriage and over 90 percent support interracial marriage. What do you think explains the no votes? And do you think this is now settled as a political issue or will marriage come up again in 2024? We have several times said marriage was settled as a political issue and it has come back again. And mm -hmm. I think as long as the Republican Party is in the thrall of right wing MAGA extremists who want to take away our rights and freedoms, then it will come up again. You can see a backlash at the state level trying to make life harder for people 
who enter into same-sex marriages. So I, I think it will remain a live issue. I think some Senate Republicans clearly wanted to take it off the table. There was reporting that more Republicans wanted to vote yes on this bill, but they faced real pressure from the evangelical right yeah. uh, to get them to vote no. And it is worth noting that more than half of Senate Republicans voted against enshrining same-sex and interracial marriage. Like in a, This is an issue with 70% approval on same-sex marriage and obviously much, much higher on interracial marriage. Yeah. It is worth pausing to note that uh, on the issue of marriage specifically and same-sex marriage, this is an issue where uh, in 2004, in that presidential campaign, it was seen as an issue that Republicans could use to uh, win the election, that, that they were hoping to put marriage uh, on the ballot in a whole bunch of states that would help drive out Republican turnout. And they ran on a fake constitutional amendment to enshrine marriage as man and woman. Right. And, and then in 2008, um, when Obama ran, uh, it was still only supported by 39% of Americans and 51% opposed it. And Obama was obviously uh, for civil unions then and then became uh, for marriage later on. So an issue like that that went from 39-51 to over 70% in this short a time, I mean, it's it's I think it's it's worth noting because people should feel that, like, for all the uh, for all the like difficult issues that are out there and for as much as politics can suck, like the culture can change and politics can change in a pretty sweeping way over the course of several years. And I think that's a testament to um, not the politicians because they sort of didn't lead on this. It was activists and, and, and people on the ground who did this. Yeah, It should give people hope that better things are possible yeah. in this country, that people can agree, they can change their minds, they can become more thoughtful and more tolerant. And they really, it really happened in ways, as you said, the politicians were came, led from behind on this one. And it was organizers and activists who push, but it was just the public came around because they saw people in their lives who were in loving, oh, this is what Obama talked about when he came yeah. out publicly for people who he knew who were in loving relationships that were just as loving as once between a man and a woman and it changed their minds it 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 widened the aperture to see something different and so that could happen in the coming years on, on a lot of issues that seem intractable right now and so for you think that we are just going down the toilet of polarization and negativity and revanchism and all of that is that there are real world very recent real world examples of things changing and changing dramatically for the better in this country. Persuasion happens all the time. It's possible. And um, yeah, don't give up on it. I mean, as you told us last week, you're a big persuasion guy. And I'm so... a big persuasion guy. <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule Damn. is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. You know, you know, you Have know. Have you been able to this. squeeze that special thing into your schedule, John? Yeah, that's. I think it's thanks to therapy. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it, mm -hmm. more time for you. I, uh, you know, because we've been doing what a weekday. Mm -hmm. I actually put that in my therapy spot. You know, I, I replaced therapy with doing an extra podcast. Mm. It was a huge mistake. So uh, what do you spend time doing at therapy now? Well, now I brought therapy back. I okay, added therapy good, back good. to another time because uh, it turns out talking- that's going to make the jokes better. <laughs> well, it's certainly going to make things better for the team. <laughs> <laughs> 
If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash PSA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash PSA. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Congress still has a lot more to do before they leave for the holidays and uh, Republicans take over the House. Uh, They need to figure out how to fund the government, the military, COVID programs, disaster relief and assistance to Ukraine. They want to pass the Electoral Count Reform Act uh, and they want to lift the debt limit because of stories like this one from Bloomberg on Tuesday. Quote, Senate Republicans want to leverage the next U.S. debt limit increase to force cuts in projected federal spending and changes to Social Security and other entitlement programs, the party's number two leader said. That would be Senator John Thune, who floated increasing the retirement age uh, in, in an event that Bloomberg covered. Why wouldn't Democrats make diffusing the debt limit the top priority in the lame duck? I have to. I mean, of course, the bill they just passed was a top priority, should be the top priority, was a bipartisan bill. I imagine that if it was up to the White House and most of the Senate Democratic Caucus, they would 100% defuse the debt limit tomorrow. I think that's correct. All the folks in the White House that you and I know well were with us in 2011 and 2013 when Republicans pushed the economy to the brink of collapse by using the debt ceiling. And that was a Republican, particularly Republican House Caucus, that was clearly batshit crazy, but quite sane compared to the one that's coming in this year. The problem is, I assume, Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema, and perhaps maybe a handful of other Democrats who were unwilling to use, because you would have to use, you'd have to do one of two things. You could do it, you could get 10 Republicans, Which, and I imagine there's some, probably some Republicans who, if they could vote in secret, would not want to have to deal with this at some point next year. Yeah. Because the Senate is always, even the Senate, most Senate Republicans, the two times we dealt with this in the past, were very resistant to the effort and kind of brought there by the nuts in the House. Or you can do it, and that way you can extend it for, when you do it through regular order, you can extend it for a period of time. We're going to delay the debt ceiling till 2025. If you do it through budget reconciliation, which would get you your 50 votes, and it's very process-wise problematic um, or or time-consuming, you have to do it for a number. So you have to lift it for $3 trillion or something like that to get you- Or you can get rid of it. Or you could eliminate it forever. I don't, can you eliminate it forever with budget reconciliation? I think you can, you can say that it's like, you can pick a number. Googleplex? Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> to infinity and beyond. <laughs> and so that's the, the challenge is that there isn't appetite to do it. That is, to, in my mind, a massive, 
massive strategic mistake on behalf of these senators. And as a senator like Joe Manchin, who is running for re-election in a very Republican state, he would be better off ripping the Band-Aid off right now than being in the middle between a Democratic White House and a lunatic Republican Congress with Social Security on the line in a state with one of the highest retired populations in the country. He should not want this fight, but he's never been super uh, well acquainted with his, some, his best political interests. I asked Ron about this, um, so you guys will hear his answer in a little bit. But um, he did say that obviously the White House wants to lift it, but that they need the votes, which makes me. Th- and, and I also read some reporting on the way over here that um, it is Mansion and Cinema, and what they're saying is um, they don't want to do it on at, uh, through budget re- reconciliation because that would be doing it on a partisan basis. So it's like you'd rather have Kevin McCarthy and his band of nuts like be negotiating on this when you know you could just the whole economy could end up destroyed because we breached the debt limit because we didn't bow to their crazy demands and the senate republicans are more like the house now than they were then right the rob yeah. portmans of the world are gone they're replaced yeah. by jd vances right you could we couldn't end up with herschel walker there you have a bunch uh there are a bunch of people from previous cycles like tommy tuberville and others and so there there is going to be when this happened in 2013, it was all the nuts in the Republican House plus Ted Cruz who forced this conclusion. And Ted Cruz was ostracized in his caucus. So they're like, why is this horribly annoying person making us work all this time on such a stupid thing? But now there are a bunch of Ted Cruz's. They're all competing to be Ted Cruz. And it's going to happen with Donald Trump running for president and a Republican presidential primary happening at the time with a bunch of people egging it on. It is deeply dangerous. And Joe Someone's Manchin- Someone's got to talk some sense into Manchin and Cinema on this one. I mean, which well, is, just, which, 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 well, we're not going to get that. Yeah, we, let's check the- We've been, are do, we, are we we've been doing that for a couple of years. Are we in 2021 again? <laughs> <laughs> uh, if we are headed for another showdown with Republicans over the debt limit, what does that look like? What are the politics? How should Democrats handle it? Let's say, let's say the- what we think is going to come to pass comes to pass and Mansion and Cinema act like Mansion and Cinema, and then we're in a, a debt limit fight. My recommendation, if someone were to ask me, and they really shouldn't, is to adopt the position that Barack Obama adopted in 2012 and 2013, which is that Democrats will not negotiate over the debt limit. You pass it or you don't. Yep. We're not going to be in some situation where we're going to use a esoteric, anachronistic legislative mechanism that simply allows us to adjust for the bills we already paid, to make huge changes to federal entitlement programs, to Social Security, to Medicare, to budget cuts. We are not going to do that. And so it is either you have to play a game of chicken and center that fight around Social Security and Medicare. And John Thune helpfully laid out what the stakes of that fight were. And so that on paper should benefit Democrats. Like there was a navigator poll out taken post-election to sort of try, get an understanding of these are people who said they voted in the in the midterm elections. And Social Security and Medicare was an issue that was more important to the swing voters who decided the election than jobs in the economy. It was number three behind abortion and inflation. And ending the guarantee for Social Security and Medicare is the by far the number one concern of all voters about the new Republican Congress. So that would lend itself. But here's the big caveat. So that's like, well, yeah, maybe Manchin's doing us a favor. We'll get a fight. We can, you know, reframe the entire economic question and on in high stakes, but it is likely to be deeply damaging to the economy and damaging to the president at the same time. And for the majority of voters who do not consume political coverage as closely as us, what they will see is, oh, there's a big fight in Washington, and now the economy's 
really fucked over up. government spending too much money over government spending too much money and i hear that republicans might be at fault but i don't know why can't biden fix it he's the yeah. president and then that's it's, that's all they hear it's very possible they could have this huge fight democrats could win they could emerge strengthened by it uh i think that is that is what happened for obama in 2013 unfortunately the obamacare website stopped working 10 days later so <laughs> it was a very, it was a brief honeymoon um in 2011 that was deeply damaging to Obama. He hit his lowest yeah. poll numbers. After that, we were in the middle of preparing for the reelect the next year. We were losing. The outcome of that fight was Barack Obama was losing to a generic Republican by several points in our polling. After that, when they died, our credit rating was downgraded. Yeah, we, credit rating was downgraded. We had a month that where zero jobs were created. Zero. The exact number zero, which is almost mathematically impossible to land on that number in a country of three hundred million people, <laughs> and it. It's dangerous. The thing is, is it's dangerous. Forget who wins the politics. It's very, both times we came very close to going off the edge, not paying our bills, defaulting on the people, not getting their social security checks, massive impact on the global economy, returning to a recession, all bad. You can avoid it, avoid it. Yeah. And I think this also goes into the book. The way to frame it is to start framing it early. If you're the Democrats that like these extremists are now taking the economy hostage because they can't get their they cut social security and Medicare. Yeah. All right. So finally. The RNC announced that they're forming a committee to do an autopsy on their disappointing midterm results. The committee includes Kellyanne Conway, anti-gay evangelical Tony Perkins, and Unabomber fanboy Blake Masters, the failed Arizona Senate candidate who Republican pollsters have said was less popular than the man accused of child molestation who they ran for Senate in 2017. Roy Moore. What a party. What a party. In fairness, I think Masters does seem like the kind of guy who's intimately familiar with autopsies <laughs> just maybe not the kind that they're trying to do here <laughs> he just watches that autopsy channel 24 <laughs> 7 hey, right i mean that's that's the yes. kind of guy um, i think i put him in the outline as serial killer impersonator blake masters <laughs> i know and it, it, honestly that gave me inspiration <laughs> yes your, your joke was better <laughs> or sarah lazarus's joke someone's joke was no better. that was mine that was mine do you think this extremely trumpy committee will deliver some fresh insights <laughs> About how Republicans can win the next election. I mean, the context for this is that Ronna Romney McDaniel, who has been the chair of the RNC since 2017, so she has lost elections in 17, 18, 19, 20, and 22, uh, is running for re-election as chair. There's a chance that she's going to be challenged by Lee Zeldin, who ran for governor in New York and ran a, you know, he lost by a lot, but I guess less than most people lose New York by. Yeah. And one of the things she's trying to uh, did you you just left out uh, the other challenger? Who's that? Uh, my pillow guy. Oh, is he going to do it? Mike Lindell. Yeah, he wants to. Ch- he wants to challenge. Ronald. Oh, I, I, you know what? He has my full support. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. It's just we're going to look back on this period of time and be like, where you can say something called a phrase, the my pillow guy, and everyone knows exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> It's like a real thing. You remember the episode where we talked about Kanye West loving Hitler and the My Pillow guy running for RNC chair? <laughs> yeah, that was the that was <laughs> yes. an interesting episode. I mean, it's so funny because like in the tw- the post twenty twelve autopsy that was done after Obama won was this very serious effort. Our friend Tim Miller wrote about it in mm-hmm. great detail in his book. Um, with all like smart people and really trying to like ask hard questions about the Republican Party now. Their answers were apparently all wrong because they're probably the opposite of it yeah. and won anyway. But it was a serious effort. This doesn't feel like it's going to be a serious effort because ultimately a truly serious effort would be you would just have like a trapper keeper and you'd open up there'd just be a picture of Donald Trump's face. Like that would be it. 
And obviously they can't do that, but that is the thing. It's like, if we had less Trump, <laughs> we would lose less, but he's the problem. Yeah. And so it's like, this he's, is- He's the problem, it's him. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I don't think it's going to be a serious effort, John. Do you, uh, even though, I don't think it's going to be a serious effort either. I also think that what they learned from 2012 is, oh, if we just ignore the autopsy and go with Donald Trump, we won anyway. So we I haven't won since then, but right? But I feel like lessons not learned. It's like a quite sixteen, yet. the exception of the rule. Who knows? Right. They don't. They don't know yet. On our side, even though Democrats had a, a historically good midterm, should our party consider doing something similar? Minus the the Blake Masters and the <laughs> who's our my pillow? yeah. I was going to say I don't know. I don't know who's our who are. Could is. be us. <laughs> <laughs> Keep the pod safe, guys, yeah. out of there. Yeah. Should what do you think? Absolutely, we should. Yeah. I think. I have worked on winning races and losing races. And you always learn more from the races you lose because you actually approach it with the idea of trying to figure out what went wrong. When you win, particularly when you win a race you don't think you're you didn't think you were gonna win, all your ideas seem brilliant at that point. Everything was obviously right, or how did you win? And we there is a I think when you look at all the conversation that's happened about why Democrats won, who turned out, who didn't, how we got them to turn out, what were the right messages, what were the wrong messages, there's a lot of conflicting information. There's a lot of information based on the exits, the exits or very selective reading of certain turnout data, narratives being pushed by people who have interests in that. Like it's There's a lot of confirmation bias. Being, I, mean, I think it would be very helpful yeah. to figure out a real analysis of who decided the election, what messages work with them, where they got their information. You know, was it a validation of this or a vindication of that or a statement against this person? I thought that the Navigator poll I referenced earlier is helpful in that, but there could be a real project to help us understand. Because there are some places where things didn't go right. Yeah. Like what went wrong in New York? Why did Tim Ryan not do much better against a candidate like, a great candidate like Tim Ryan, do not any better than other Democrats did against a terrible candidate like J.D. Vance. Yeah. Like, what does that say? What is happening there? What are we missing? And by the way, the truth may not validate either side of a debate, <laughs> right? Like, it could end up being quite complicated and nuanced over what went wrong, what went we right. Not, we will not accept that. Well, that's what I'm saying. That you know, the, it's we, like... You can, you, you can only do that on Mastodon. It could be the... Tra- <laughs> Glad you, I'm glad you, we did a lot of Mastodon jokes on the last... That's why you're pretty far down the waiting list. A lot of toots. A <laughs> lot of toots. But yeah, no, I think there are. Uh, there's probably a lot of different explanations for what went wrong and what went right. And it could be a lot more subtle than we think. And it's very helpful for us to figure this out in advance of 2024. Because I do. I think it's been unhelpful that the conversation, at least it's sort of the online media conversation or the cable conversation has devolved into like the pundits were wrong or the red wave didn't happen or the polls were wrong or they were right or you believe in the pundits or you don't or the it's like that who cares <laughs> who cares at this point we just want to know exactly why certain voters turned out other voters didn't and why they voted the way they do that's i mean it's very helpful i i have no doubt no doubt that jenna mally dillon and Nita dunn and the biden team yeah. are looking at this because if you're trying to figure out your plan and budget which they are doing as joe biden is making his final decision on whether to run or not, you need to know the answer to that. You need to know why black turnout was, according to some reports, lower than people thought it was going to be, why other turnout was higher. How high was youth turnout? There's been a big conversation about Gen Z and winning the election. And while in raw numbers and vote support, 
it was high, but as a percentage of turnout, it was lower than 18. Yeah. What does that say? Why? What, you know, talking to people who didn't turn out, like talking, we did a big project in, in preparation for 2012, where we looked at the drop-off voters Mm. between people who voted for Obama in 2008, who did not turn out in 2010 to understand why they didn't vote in that time. And that informed a lot of our messaging in 2012. I think I'm confident that that will be a, a similar project will be done, but I just think that that will be their internal strategic analysis. I think for the rest of the party, all the people are going to be running races in 2024, say, yeah. you need a more public thing. And if, look, if you, if anyone wants to partner with message box to do that, I'm in, Wow, I don't, no, hand, I, I don't hand out that, that such a opportunity lightly, but I would do it here. Yeah. Well, and beyond, yeah, I was going to say like beyond the Biden folks, like Sherrod Brown is running again in 2024 in a very tough race in Ohio. He's going to want to know why Tim Ryan did not, you know, overperform Biden by as much as I think a lot of people expected. Folks trying to win back the House, which is very winnable <laughs> for Democrats in 2024, are going to want to know. Right? You better so, figure out what happened in New York, because if we don't win those seats back in a presidential election year, we are not getting the House back. Yeah. And it's like we can complain about Andrew Cuomo all we want. Great. Yeah, I'm fine. But like we should figure out how to win those seats back. Yeah, he's, he's still going to be around. <laughs> yeah. Right. Doing some podcast. Um, OK. Yeah. So is it, are, you, are you making an announcement? No. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like that's that's where everyone that's, ends where, every, <laughs> that's, where, that's where all these fucking losers end up, you know. <laughs> anyway, right. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> when we come back, my interview with White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Psst. Hey, it's me, your barista. So you know how you come in almost every day for our cold foam coffee? Yeah, well, I might be putting myself out of a job by telling you this, but now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. With three new foaming flavors, French vanilla, sweet and creamy, and caramel macchiato, who could blame you if you stopped coming in altogether? Yeah, it's that foaming delicious. You're welcome. New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer, now in stores. It's foaming delicious. Ron Klain, welcome back to Pot Save America. Well, thanks for having me, John. It's always good to be back. Uh, good to be here, too. First off, congrats on a great midterm. Thank you. I mean, I think that uh, a lot of factors went into it, but uh, we're you know proud of the role the president played, his leadership, and uh, you know, and to, to achieve a historic result, to hang on to all of our Democratic senators if we uh, you know knock wood, get oh, yeah. Georgia done next week, to uh, have so few uh, seats lost in the House, really a historic result, to win some critical governorships, and to actually win many state legislative chambers. Uh, you know, go up and down the ballot, it was really an exceptional result. 
So you were here in 2010. And 94. And I, <laughs> yeah, I've seen it all. And 2010 voters were upset about the economy. Yeah. Obama's approval rating was, wasn't great. And we got killed in the midterms. Yeah. Here, same people weren't happy with the economy. Biden's approval wasn't great. And historic result. Yeah. How do you think, what was the difference? I do think we delivered a lot of things for the American people that were popular. So look, I'm so glad we did Obamacare back in 2010. And over time, people have come to appreciate it. But back in 2010, yeah, it was not popular, <laughs> as, you, as you and I both yeah. remember. And so we had candidates <laughs> carrying around a, a bill uh, that wasn't popular with the voters at that time. Uh, the things President Biden's done, I think, uh, have really remained very popular. Uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, bringing down the cost of prescription drugs, the infrastructure bill, the CHIPS bill. So when the president called winners on election night, one by one, each of them said, you know, I ran on this part of your agenda. I ran on that part of your agenda. They weren't running away from the president. They were running with the president. I think that really helped. I think that kind of sense that things were moving in the right direction, uh, that we'd gotten things done and people liked what we'd gotten done. I think that really helped. There's just no question that abortion had a big effect on the election. We weren't the only incumbent in 2022. The Supreme Court was kind of an incumbent in 2022, and voters were very unhappy with what they had imposed on the country. That had a big factor. And then finally, uh, we ran against uh, perhaps the most extreme set of Republican candidates in history. I don't even yeah. know how you score that, but they were certainly at the and, high and end no, of that. I think they and, and, the cake. And I think that had a big effect. I think voters... President made a strong appeal twice in the closing period of the campaign for voters to show up and vote for democracy, to stand up for democracy. I think that connected with people. And I think when you put that against the kind of election denier, super MAGA extreme candidates, I think that contrast really helped us. So a uh, ton to get done in the lame duck. Yeah. The other day, John Thune, number two Senate Republican, said that they do want to leverage the debt ceiling to force cuts in Social Security and Medicare. Obviously, you guys don't want to do that. You could lift the debt ceiling in the lame duck with 51 votes uh, if it was attached to a reconciliation bill. I keep reading that people think there's not enough time to do that, but isn't that like isn't that like a top priority to not let them, you know, yeah. crash the economy by playing chicken with the debt ceiling? Well, look, we're going to look at the possibilities of trying to get the debt ceiling done. I think uh, there are some first things first. We have to get uh, this rail shutdown averted. That's an immediate uh, crisis, a crisis for our economy, a crisis for the towns across America that would lose access to clean water, the million workers that get laid off. So that's what we've got the Congress working on this week. We have to get the government funding. That's also a very important thing, an immediate thing. The government runs out of money on December 16th, and so the clock's ticking on that. And we have other things that need to get done. We have to get the marriage equality bill, which passed uh, the Senate the other day, back through the House again yeah. and onto the president's desk for a historic signing. So I think debt ceiling's uh, part of the conversation, but uh, we have to, uh, you know, line it up and uh, we'd have to have the votes. Are you worried about a debt ceiling fight with uh, a Kevin McCarthy or someone else led <laughs> House? Look, I think it is a concern because let's give them some credit. They have been straight up and open about what they intend to do. They intend to cut Social Security. They intend to cut Medicare. I think we'll win that fight. Uh, I don't think the American people uh, want to see Social Security and Medicare cut. And I think if the Republicans go down that path, it'll be a disaster. But uh, certainly, if there's a way to resolve the debt ceiling before that, that would be great. Is the president going to push to get uh, Electoral Reform count Act done? In the yeah, this has been a very high priority for us. Again, it's one of those things that uh, is very close to the finish line, not quite there. And uh, this is, again, a thing where there's been good bipartisan work in the Senate. 
Uh, I need to credit Senator Collins and others for working on that. And uh, it's, it's very, very important. Look, uh, we saw the near disaster we had in uh, 2020 and the whole thing going off the rails and then the insurrection on January 6th. And so uh, one way to put some guardrails against that is to make it much clearer what kinds of challenges to election results are legitimate, not legitimate, and how those challenges are, are reviewed. And I think the Electoral Reform Act is, is a vital part of that. And that's uh, definitely in the must-do category for the lame duck. Looking ahead to the next two years, are there any legislative priorities you think could get done with the Republican House? Well, we're going to have to see. You know, we've, we have had success working with Republicans in Congress. Uh, we've had a number of Republicans vote for our infrastructure bill, for our CHIPS bill, for our veterans bill. All told, those are the three big ones, all told over 150 bills that had some bipartisan support. So we've shown we can work with Republicans. The question on the table really is, can the Republican leadership work with us? Yeah. And we're just going to have to wait and see. I think there are areas uh, that should be areas of common concern. Uh, mental health is one that comes up uh, quite often as an area that really should cross party lines. We're going to have to work together to fund the government, to deal with the, kind of the, a lot of the basics and essentials. Uh, we're going to need their support to fund the war in Ukraine. So I, I, again, I think we've proven our bona fides on this. I think the challenge is to see what they can do. You guys looking at any executive actions over the next two years or any areas where the president can sort of take action without Congress? Look, we have used the president's executive powers uh, when it's appropriate. The president has tried to, has not overreached, and, uh, but hasn't been shy about using them when, they, when it's appropriate on issues like student debt relief, uh, pardoning people with marijuana convictions for simple possession, uh, competition issues, uh, and uh, federal uh, police reform. So we're always looking for things uh, where he has the appropriate authority, and it's in his bailiwick to, uh, to act by executive action, act by regulation. Uh, that certainly remains on the table next year. So the House Republicans have promised like all sorts of investigations into President Biden, the administration, his family even. Are you guys going to cooperate with every investigation and subpoena no matter what, or are there some lines that you're going to draw? Look, I think we will follow the same rules that prior administrations have followed about trying to be cooperative uh, where appropriate, and uh, also you know, asserting our rights where that's appropriate too. I think, the, I think the question really, again, once again, is for the Republicans. They ran around the country in 2022 and said they would fight inflation, they would fight crime, they would uh, secure the border. That was what they ran on. And if they instead turn the House into a political investigations unit, uh, I think they're going to pay a price for that. Yeah. And uh, I think that's going to fall on them. So uh, former President Trump, current mm -hmm. GOP frontrunner, had dinner with a uh, Holocaust-denying white supremacist. Yeah. Uh, the other night, and Kanye West. <laughs> um, so I, I know a reporter shouted a question at, at President Biden about this, and President Biden said, you don't want to know what I think. I, I want to know what he thinks. <laughs> Has he talked to you about it? Do you know what he thinks? Uh, he, yes. I mean, I, I think what he said, you don't want to know what I think. I think what he was conveying was, I think some very bad things that I, got I that. as president I got that. should not be saying out loud. Uh, we've also quite clearly condemned it uh, here at the White House, and President's views are known. Look, this is a president who ran for president, largely motivated to run for president because of uh, anti-Semitic uh, protests in Charlottesville and, and the, the, the people with Nazi-like chants uh, coming down the street. This is what's motivated his, his candidacy, uh, you know, restoring the soul of America. So, um, you know, he, he obviously, uh, you know, condemns this in the strongest possible language, a language perhaps so strong you can't even say it out loud. 
Uh, and he takes it very seriously. I think the president's been very concerned about the rising tide of anti-Semitism in this country, uh, the, some of the violent anti-Semitic acts we've seen uh, in this country. And so this is something that, um, that really matters to him. It's something he's going to be speaking out about more and more and uh, something we're trying to fight in every way we can. Yeah, I, I could imagine him wanting to speak on this because I feel like every time he does, he's pretty strong. He is. I think, I think you know, he uh, tries to use his voice on these things in a, in a forceful but dignified way, mm -hmm. in a way that reflects the seriousness of his views. You know, I think one thing we learned in 2020 and in the past two years is how to have the right kind of exchange with Donald Trump. And we've tried to avoid having the president go down to his level and, you know, insult for insult, uh, you know, shot for shot, tweet for tweet. Uh, but instead, at the right moments, call President Trump out, call out his hate, call out his division. Uh, he did that very powerfully. President Biden did that very powerfully on the one-year anniversary of January 6th in the Capitol. He did it very powerfully in front of Independence Hall on the uh, start of the fall campaign season. He did it very powerfully on Capitol Hill just a few days before the 2022 election. So he, he has spoken out, he will speak out, but he's gonna speak out in a way I think that fits who Joe Biden is, mm -hmm. which is talking in a serious, important, forceful way about uh, the soul of America and what we need to do to restore it. You mentioned uh, tweet for tweet. You are one of the White House's most prolific tweeters. I hope not, but it might be true. <laughs> well, it's okay, I'm a, I'm a tweeter myself. Um, what do you think about the new owner's changes to the platform, particularly reinstating Trump Kanye West, and I guess all accounts that haven't broken the law that were yeah. once suspended. I, you know, uh, I, I will say uh, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about Twitter itself and about how Elon Musk is running Twitter. Uh, kind of have my hands full here. <laughs> but, um, but look, I think anything that encourages hate speech is, is bad. And I don't think it's, I don't, I, I don't think it's, it's obviously not good for our society. It's not good for the discourse. I don't think it's good for Twitter. And, uh, you know, but it, he owns it. It's his business. He's going to run it, I guess, how he sees fit. We'll see what happens. People are sort of fleeing the platform left and right. You're, you're going to stay on Twitter? I, I'm going to stay on Twitter. Uh, I haven't really figured out the other platforms yet. I so, think it's very confusing. So, so, so we'll see. Uh, <laughs> uh, look, I, you know. It was, do, you find it, do you find it helpful? Like, I, you're, you're, yeah. you tweet about gas prices falling. You sort of, you know, give the, give the press some well-deserved shit for economic narratives. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that's helpful in sort of, you know, shaping the press narrative? Do you... Here's what I think about Twitter, which is uh, one thing is it was a uh, piece of gospel in the Biden campaign of 2020 that Twitter is not America. Yeah, right. And that and that's true. I yeah. think if you go on Twitter and say, hey, is this where the public zeitgeist is? That's a mistake. I think I find it useful in two ways. First of all, it is a quick way to understand kind of what the press corps thinks of things, what certain kind of elite opinion makers think of things. And that's, that's something yeah, that valuable. when you run the White House, you need to understand. Secondly, I find it a way, uh, and I hear this all the time as I go around and talk to people, to communicate to our supporters and our allies a point of view and to reach people that you can't, you're, you, you know, you work here, we have talking points, we send out talking points by email. You know, there are just a lot of people in today's network society who aren't going to get those talking points right. by email. So I find it a quick way to communicate, here's our perspective on this issue. Here's our perspective on this thing. And I hear from people all the time, hey, thanks for sending that out. You know, you know I, I was, had to go on TV. I had to do this. I had to do that. Uh, and it helped kind of uh, navigate things a little bit. Have you uh, made a decision about whether you're going to stay on as chief of staff? 
Well, look, it's the job of a lifetime. I love it. Love working for the president. I have um, an incredibly talented team here and great colleagues that I love. It's a hard job. It's a grinding job. I've stayed longer than uh, any Democratic uh, first chief of staff has. I'm here. Uh, I love being here. Uh, at some point in time, I'm sure a last day will come, but uh, but not now. For now, you're here. Uh, last question, I'll let you go. Um, you were on the Men in Blazers podcast. I was. You predicted a USA win. I predicted a 4-1 win. So you, pretty, yeah, I, was, I, was I wasn't going to get. I wasn't going to. I was gonna, a little overly enthusiastic. That's okay. But, you still predicted, but I predicted a, win. a win. Yes. Do you have a prediction for the Netherlands? Uh, yes, I think I do. Think we're going to win. I think that right. this team is underrated, underestimated. Uh, you know, the president's just in love with this team. Uh, you remember from the Obama Biden administration that he led our delegation to South Africa in 2010. He's been a giant yeah. U.S. men's team fan since then. Uh, we've also had really close relationships here with the U.S. women's team, working with them on pay equity and also for the first time ever, any president to give the Medal of uh, Freedom to a soccer player. President Biden gave it to Megan Rapino, And so we're big soccer fans here. Uh, I think the USA is going to beat Netherlands. I think it's going to be 1-0. I'm not like going to go over the top on goals scored this time, but, <laughs> Just, I, but I do think we're going to win. Okay. We heard it here first. There you go. Uh, Ron Klein, thanks for joining Pod Save America. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks to Ron for joining us today. Everyone have a great weekend, and we will talk to you next week. Bye, everyone. Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our senior producer is Andy Gardner-Bernstein. Our producers are Haley Muse and Olivia Martinez. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis sound engineered the show. Thanks to Hallie Kiefer, Ari Schwartz, Sandy Gerard, Andy Taft, and Justine Howe for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Phoebe Bradford, Milo Kim, and Amelia Montu. Our episodes are uploaded as videos at youtube.com slash podsaveamerica. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.